Well, uh, I finished the series I was on last week, so this is a standalone message, and God changed it on me yesterday. <laughs> so, uh, and so, we, uh, so you can go online and get my notes. They're on victorychurchraleigh.com, readily available. But if you look at my notes, there's uh, really two sets. There's the top part, which I'll just get to the top because we'll be here all day if we try to get to the bottom. And, uh, and then there's some other, other, other things that I think would be healthy and good, and some may need that. I was originally going to talk about forgiveness and may touch that uh, limitedly, but God gave me something else. The title of this is Relational Health for the Holidays. How many know, uh, you know holiday time, you know, traditionally, we enjoy the company of family, company of friends. Many people travel, family get together. See people you haven't seen in a while. Is that true for you? And uh, yes? Y- y'all can say yes, no, shake your head, wave your hand, I'm okay. Um, and uh, so we eat, we talk, we laugh, we remember, we relax, and, and we may take a nap if we ate too much. So, you know, uh, uh, but, but, um, but right now, I think maybe... Uh, for the first time in my life, there's more polarization in relationships worldwide than ever before. How many would agree with that statement? And people are challenged. Families are challenged. Friends are challenged. Uh, coworkers are challenged. And how to relate to each other. Can, can you identify with some of that? Uh, so, so here's some of the polarization. So, so I'm just going to go through this, start with spiritual things. They're conservative Christians. They're liberal Christians. There's denominational Christians, non-denominational Christians, Right? And then we get really start getting into the weeds. And then you got uh, the pro-vaccine crowd, the anti-vaccine crowd, yes? Yeah, it gets sticky, doesn't it? And then you got pro-mask, anti-mask, and then I don't care maskers, right? And, and then you break it on down a little further, you got all kinds of political stuff in the fray. I mean, all kinds, y'all. Republicans, Democrats, and then add to that mix the Make America Great Again crowd and then those who hate Trump, right? That's, that's, man, that's like adding gas to a fire. So, uh, and then you go beyond that financial stuff. You got capitalists, you got socialists, you got communists, Marxists, and everybody in those camps think they're right. And they're ready to talk you down. So how many think there could be some challenges around a table with people you don't normally talk to who have varying ideologies on the, in the various areas of life? Yes or no? Could it create some conflict? Yeah. So, so, you know, my goal is to help you not create conflict, but to love the people you're going to be with this week. Is that okay? And um, lots of differences. So where's the will of God in the situations when you find yourself with people who don't think the way you do, value what you value, or do life the way you do. Uh, what's the will of God? So God gave me something. Yesterday, I was just minding my own business, praying and reading my notes. And, and uh, my notes completely changed eventually. But um, he gave me, uh, actually, it's one sentence. It's actually two statements in the sentence. It's really, I guess, two. Sm- a larger sentence, smaller. Don't try to win the argument. Win the heart. That kind of got me. So, you know, a lot of people are, are, regardless of all of the polarization, already emotional or, or relationally challenged. Did you hear me? If you have conflict on the inside, 
your natural predisposition is to create conflict on the outside. If you're angry on the inside, you have a tendency to create anger on the outside. In your, is that true? In your environment. That's why, you know, if we want to have good relationships, we got to clean it up. That is clean up the interior of our person. Because what I am on the inside manifests by how I think, how I talk, and how I relate. Yes or no? So all of us have had those people that, oh, there they come again. And I don't even have to finish the sentence, do I? Because it's going to be a challenge. So how do you deal, how do you deal with that in life? So I want to deal with that really simply today. Um, and, and let's see where we go. Let, can I just read a few scripture first? And then just, uh, most of the scripture, I just want to read some because how many know the scriptures are our guide? You know, God's word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We hide his words in our hearts. And, and then... Uh, and then we don't sin. So uh, let's talk about, let's look at some scripture. Mark eleven twenty five. 25. I originally started with this, but then I kind of got off the track and went another direction. Amplified New Testament. Amplified New Testament takes the original language and breaks it up a little more in depth with nuances and shadows of meaning not relatable in a one verse, a, a one word, word for word translation. So it's called the Amplified New Testament. Uh, and this is the classic version. Whenever you stand praying, Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty five. If you have anything against anyone, now that's all. Is that all inclusive? So here's Aunt So and So that forgot your birthday fifteen years ago. All right. Or here's cousin Elbow that hurt you a few years ago, and uh, and and made it made a scene in the middle of the family. Okay. So uh, if you have anything against anyone, now watch this, forgive him or her and let it drop. And in parenthesis, leave it, let it go. If you let something go, is it still yours? It left you, right? See, In order that your father who's in heaven may also forgive you your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. So, you know, if I want God to forgive me, how many know it's just the wise thing to do is forgive people who have abused us, hurt us, we think taken advantage of us in some way. Uh, how many know that's really important? So forgiveness, I was going to talk about that. We may come, uh, the notes are there if you really have to deal with it, but this is much more broad than that, what I want to say today, because it helps us deal with, just in general, how, how to deal with people who disagree with you. And, and you know what, now, every day, all day, you go meet people that disagree with you. How do you do that, you know? So Romans twelve eighteen, I love uh, I love this verse. When I first came to the Lord, me, I mean, I was just full of angst inside. I, ever since I was a kid, I, I don't want to get in the weeds there, but uh, just the way I was treated, I was raised in the country alone. I came to school. That's where I met my friends. But um, I, I spent a lot of alone time. And then uh, just because of my circumstance, and I don't have time to go into the details, although I could, um, I was picked on and, uh, you know, all kinds of things as a kid. And it affected me and it festered. And I, I just figured, you know, I'd rather be around my dog than most people. Or my cats, you know, they keep their tail up in the air when I go outside and they really are friendly and they love me and they sit on my lap and they purr. But people... People misuse you, mistreat you, say things that are not true, laugh at you, uh, scowl at you. That's, that's just my, that's how I was raised. And, you know, God had to take me through a process of, 
of healing and transformation within. And, you know, if you've had something like that, you have to go through that and allow the Lord to do that for you, right? But this scripture, because of that, perhaps really meant a lot. Romans 12, 18, if it's possible. See, if. See, the big word there is if. Sometimes it's not possible. If it's possible. Now, then the next one, the next clause here, as much as depends on you. Now, that tells me there's some challenges coming, but I'm ultimately responsible with what I do with me. But I can't change or or keep someone from acting the way they act. I just got that out of that. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That includes women. All men, all women, yeah. Now, you know, having said that, uh, some people thrive on controversy. You've been around that kind of person? Maybe you are that person. See, now, now you know what that says? You've got inner conflict that God, God wants to deal with. He loves you. But if everywhere you are, you stir up a stink, well, the stink's not on the outside, it's in you. The common denominator is you. Right? See, that's the way it was with me as a teenager. Romans, this is New Century Version, Romans 12, 18. Do your best to live in peace with everyone. I like that one. And Philip's New Testament, as far as your responsibility goes. See, I like that even further defines. Uh, live at peace with everyone. See, I'm responsible to do, know, do what I know to do, but I can't keep another person from acting or reacting a certain way. Yes or no? So, so, so see, I'm responsible for me. So, you know, Chip Judd, one of my friends... Uh, came here a bunch in the past. Uh, Chip Judd uh, uh, got a master's degree in counseling from the Citadel. And he, so he'd talk about counseling and stuff, just talk about personal things and all. But he'd bring a hula hoop out and, and he'd put a hula hoop around him and he'd say, I'm responsible for everything inside this hula hoop. But I'm not personally responsible for things outside of it. All right? And so he'd talk about that. So, you know, I, I see that in this to some degree. You know, I, I, I have, I, I'm responsible for me and what I choose to say, the attitudes I choose to have, right? And, and who I choose to talk to, I'm responsible. So, so as far as your responsibility goes, live at peace with everyone. Now, sometimes that's more challenging than we may realize. So I want to talk about getting the weeds in it in just a little bit because this maybe um, I don't want to say it's simplistic, but it's more simple than maybe we realize to deal with this. If we'll just keep a few things in mind. Then Matthew 7, this came to mind yesterday uh, as I was thinking about this and, and really studying other things other than this. This kept coming to my mind, Matthew 7, verse 6. Jesus said, now this is a really weird way to say it. And I said, Jesus, why did you say it this way? He said, do not give what is holy to the, to the dogs. Then he said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Now it seems like he's calling some people dogs and some people pigs, right? Uh, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now that's a mean pig right there. Wow. In fact, I just read New International Version. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, what's he saying? There's some things better left unsaid in certain social situations. 
You may feel passionate about it, but the other person may not give a rip. And you just cast something valuable to somebody that didn't care. And all it's going to do is make you mad. And maybe make them madder. So why say it? Right? And then this came to me, 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Now this is the Passion Translation. I've been reading this a good bit lately. I post some of these things online at, at times. This is a really a juicy one, however. This is 1 Corinthians 9. The Apostle Paul's talk about winning people to Jesus. And he made some really startling statements um, beginning with verse 19, 1 Corinthians 9. Now, even though I'm free from obligations to others, I joyfully make myself a servant to all in order to win as many converts as possible. Now, that's a startling statement. What was Paul saying? Now, you know, he's probably one of the most educated men of his day. He was a man of small stature, but, but his, his life carried weight. And he said, I make myself a servant to the people I come around. I mean, he was um, mentally astute enough that people could serve him and he could have hired servants. But he said, I'm going to be your servant. That's a big deal. Verse 20 says, I became Jewish to the Jewish people in order to win them to the Messiah. I became like one under the law to gain the people who were stuck under the law, even though I myself am not under the law. He's talking about Jews. And to those who are without the Jewish laws, I became like them as one without Jewish law in order to win them, although I'm not outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Now, now how, how did he do that? I, I think it had to do with what he talked about and the verbiage he used, the things he said. He could identify with Jews under the Mosaic law. He could identify with heathen people. He, he ate with, with uh, people who didn't know God nor Jewish law. And the religious people got upset with him, right? And, and the people loved him. They loved to, for, to gang around Jesus. Isn't it strange that sinners love Jesus, but the religious people hated him? Why? Why? Well, he became like, he, he didn't partake in their sin, but he loved them where they are. And he knew when to refrain from saying something. And he knew when he could say something. Isn't that good? And then he said, verse 22, I became weak to the weak to win the weak. I have adapted, listen, this is great. I have adapted to the culture of every place I've gone to so that I could eat more easily win the people to Christ. Adapting, that word stuck out at me. I've adapted to the culture. I've done all this so I would become God's partner for the sake of the gospel. So again, what was Paul advocating here? He was advocating feeling the environment that you're in, understanding the people that you're with and what they value and what they don't value. And if you wanna, and if you wanna not win the argument but win their heart, just talk to them and let them talk. Again, I've mentioned this book. I've, I try to read this book once a year. Uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, copyright 1938. It's, a, it's an insightful book. We read some of it in our men's meeting on Tuesdays. And men, we will have our Tuesday meeting at 6.30. Here's a commercial. So men, if you're in the room, come Tuesday morning. If you're not traveling, we'll have a hot cup of coffee, a thick cup of coffee, and a good conversation. But we talked about, we talked about this. And uh, again, Dale Carnegie, one thing I appreciate that, about that book is he advocates just letting people talk. 
People love themselves. Let them talk about themselves and don't, don't try to prove your points to others. I think that's good, uh, a good idea in this climate. Do you? And it actually goes along with Scripture very, very well. So again here, Paul was advocating feeling the environment you're in before you say what you're going to say. How about if we did that Thursday and Wednesday and Friday? And how about every day of the week? But I'm talking about Thanksgiving right now, right? So, so, so the way you do this, if you think a, a little more in depth about it, there, there is a mandate we have from heaven, from Jesus, about how we're, how we're to live, and, and I don't think we do it very well, and that's honest. I, I didn't, listen, I was in church 18 years, but to, to get this as a mandate from heaven that I'm supposed to act on every day, I didn't get it for whatever reason. And I was in church three times a week, most weeks of my life, from birth to almost 18. I didn't get it. But after I came back to Jesus... After being away from him as a teenager, this thing hit me between the eyes. And y'all, it really affected my relationships because I didn't, to me, I didn't have good relationships before I met the Lord because it was me, it was not them. It was my, it was my challenges, my inner turmoil. And God had to help me deal with me. So again, I want to encourage for the second time, if you feel inner chaos, inner turmoil, I began to take that to Jesus. I started reading the Bible in sincerity at age 18 and would shut the door to my room. I still live with my parents and would honestly get down on the floor with my Bible on a carpet on my knees and say, God, you have to talk to me. And as I would read the word, it felt like it was burning me inside. It was melting hard places in my heart. I was so hard with, uh, towards people. I didn't want to be around people. I was an introvert because of the hurt, the pain, the challenge. But as I read the New Testament, particularly the epistles, the letters written to the church, that's Romans all the way through Jude, I read them over and over and over because in those letters, oh, how many know all of the Bible is written to you? Yes or no? Genesis through Revelation. But the epistles, the letters written to the churches are written for you. And they'll tell you things you won't find anywhere else in the Bible. Now, they'll, they'll confirm some other things you find in the Bible, but they'll, they'll tell it very clearly. In fact, uh, a good challenge, if you've got a hard copy Bible, uh, look at where the pages are the most worn. That's where you read the most. And it ought to be, in any Bible you own, it ought to be the epistles. Wear them out. I did that on my knees and God really began to speak and deal with me on the inside. And then the principle that changed me. Give me some grace if I, if I weep, but the principle that changed the hardness inside me was when I found out Jesus gave us as Christians a mandate and then an ability to follow through. He gave us a mandate to love the way he loved. John 13, 34 so now I'm giving you, so he's about to go to the cross, about to die for our sins. He gets his disciples together and he says, so I'm giving you a new commandment. They said, Jesus, would you stop? I bet some of them said, whoa, stop, 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 break. We already got 10. We're not doing good with them yet. You're giving us another one? And he basically says, well, if you do this one, it encompasses all the 10. You can do the 10. So I'm now giving you a new commandment, love each other. 
And I'm sure when he, and he stopped right there, it's a period. And they said, well, we already do that. Don't, you know, uh, uh, John, don't I love you, Peter said. And, and they went, I love, oh, we love each other. Then he said, no, 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 you don't get it. Just as I have loved you, love each other. The person that turned him over to the religious authorities and had him crucified was Judas. And Jesus honored Judas uh, by what in that day was an was a, a, a act of great dignity. He dipped some bread in some olive oil and fed it to Jesus, Judas. You know what he was saying when he said that, Judas? I love you enough to die for you. I'm your friend. When he said, just as I have loved you, Peter was about to deny him. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I pray for you that your faith fail not. And when you're converted, strengthen your brothers and sisters. He knew what Peter was going to do ahead of time. That rooster was going to make a noise and before that, Peter was going to deny Jesus, but he loved him. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he told Mary Magdalene, go tell my disciples and he pointed out Peter. He pointed out the very dude that sold him out. So I'm sure this came back to their minds. So now I'm giving you a new, after Jesus was resurrected. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. See, that came back to his mind. You should love each other. You, your love for one another will prove to the world you're my disciples. It's not coming to church. And in South Carolina, I know we did, they, I, I would often see a Bible in the back of somebody's car on the, in the windowsill. Have you seen that? Thinking, why, why isn't it on, on the shelf where they can read the thing? And I think they were making a statement. Or, you know, well, I go to church and, you know, uh, we, we go out and eat on Sundays and I, I could always tell the church people because they looked like church people when I was a kid because they were dressed to the nines, y'all. I mean, my goodness. That doesn't typify you as a Christian or, or show that you're a believer, no. No, Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world you're my disciples. If I don't love, I can quote scripture, but that doesn't mean anything. First John 3, 14, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life, but a person who has no love is still dead. Wow. And then here's the hope we have is that, see, God, Jesus has said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, love one another. And then he gave us the ability to do it. Romans 5, 5 says this, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So if Jesus asked us to do something, he actually given, give us the goods to do it with. He said, I want you to love the way I do. Now I'm gonna put it in you. The disciples didn't realize that they would be born again. They would pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. John 3 would be fulfilled. They would be born again. The Holy Spirit would come and live inside them. And then when he came to live inside them, he put the nature of Jesus in them, which is love. And that's what happens to us, right? So everybody say this out loud. Say, say inside of me, inside of me 
as a believer is the same kind of love that Jesus has. Question, what am I doing with it? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 13, this is Passion's Translate, Passion Translation. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is known as the love chapter, cutting to the chase for sake of time. Uh, verses 4 through 7 give a, a tremendously um, deep description of how this kind of love is placed inside of us that Jesus said all would know that you're my witnesses if you do this. It's a deep description of how it acts in response. Now listen to this. Passion translation, love is large and incredibly patient. Now what I do when you read the Bible, read it slow. Don't speed read the Bible. I, I ask myself questions when I read. Love is large. That means it encompasses everything, everybody. Love is large and incredibly patient. So, I, I mean, I do it now as, by, by second nature. Am I incredibly patient? Are you? Would you be known as, that's the most patient person. Or would people say, or the persons that know you most closely, like your spouse or your children or your close coworkers, you better watch it. They'll fly off, man. They'll fly off the handle. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle, consistently kind. To all. Boy, that's something to say today, isn't it? Am I kind to the person who, who doesn't believe the way I do about the things we're dealing with in life right now? Or am I just kind of spouting off at the mouth on Facebook? It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. You know, that's a really big deal. You know, people generally don't grow up kids Kids display their, their youthfulness by showing you, if I go visit somebody, we have friends come and visit. And I did it as a kid. Somebody come to our house. They're going to know every new truck I got. They're going to see my new pair of tennis shoes. They're going to see my new shirt my mama bought me. They're going to see my new ball I go play when I'm a kid, you know. And, and generally, the, um, the things we show off just get larger and more expensive as we age. But we're still kids if we show off. Refuses to be jealous when blessings come to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements or inflate its own importance. So here's a question. Who talks the most when I'm in a relationship? Like Thanksgiving, are you going to rule the conversation to have the last word with every comment that's made? Or are you going to let others have it? Is that good? Um... Love doesn't reveal itself easily. So, so here's, a, here's a test, a mental test. If you just got a million dollars, I mean, maybe you inherited it from a wealthy aunt or uncle. Or God forbid you won the lottery. I mean, you know. Did you sit at Thanksgiving table, at the Thanksgiving table with all those people and nobody knows what you just got? Could you? Or, uh, you know, maybe not that, but something else in life is a big deal to you. Could you sit there and let other people talk about themselves without saying a word about what you got, what you do? Don't answer. It's a lot to think about. Verse 5 says, love does not traffic in shame and disrespect. Did you know some people traffic in shame and disrespect? They're looking for a way to say something that's just a little bit off 
to let the other person know, I'm just a little bit better than you. You ain't what you think you is. Don't do that around the Thanksgiving table. In fact, don't do it at all. Love is not easily irritated. Now we could sit and camp at that one for love is not easily irritated. Would your spouse say, well, you know, you can talk to so-and-so and say it to them. They won't be talking about you. You know, he won't, she won't, won't be agitated very easily. They can handle what you're going to say. Or does your spouse have to go to people and say, now, now don't talk about that. And then don't bring that up because he'll go nuts. Or she'll go crazy, right? Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. It's strange to me in church life. I think it's because we have such expectations of people. People take offense more easily at church than any other place. You know why? Because the expectations are here. Now, if you're listening, I got my hand way up in the air. But then life only comes in about halfway to the expectation. And then people get disgruntled. Well, I'm leaving that church. You know the real reason why? Because people are there. (laughs) And they don't act the way you think they should. And you know the truth is? I hope you like me, but I'm probably at some point, if you know me well, I'm going to do something you don't like. And you're probably going to do something I don't like. But hopefully by the grace of God, you'll never know it. Right? Wow. Wow. Love is a safe place of shelter. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed one. So love is not easily irritated and quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Mm. You know, some people love to repeat scandal, the scandal stories. Did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear what happened over there? You know what happened in that church? You know what happened to that business? You know what so-and-so said? If you're that person... I don't know how else to say it. You're just wrong. Love hides the faults in other people. Do you know that? Love covers in silence other people's wrongs. If I am talking about what somebody else is doing and I don't like, it's proving I'm not loving. Love is a safe place of shelter. Passion Translation says, for it never stops believing the best of others. 18 years of age, I came to Jesus. Uh, One of the mental traits I had was to dress people down in my mind. That is, I'm looking for flaws. I'm looking for a wrinkled coat on Sundays, a tie that's not quite straight. Um, Or if it's during my daytime hours, I'm in school or I'm at my job, I'm looking for a way to find the flaws in someone else. Here's a person whose ears twisted. Here's a person with a scar over here. Here's a person who's got a ward on the side of his nose. I'm looking for something, Uh, whatever. I don't care what it is. I'm looking for something to to put them down to my level. See, if you do that, you don't feel... However I feel about me, I transfer to others. Right? It gets quiet when we talk about this, doesn't it? And you know, that really was a trait. I, I had just come to the Lord... And I was slouching down in the seat, and i just known the Lord. Oh, man, I, I had, couldn't have been a week or two. And I was slouching down in the seat on Sunday morning, and I had my tennis shoes on, my jeans on, and I was just kind of a little T-shirt. And I'm just watching everybody. 
And, 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 and I, I was looking for the flaws. And it's like I heard the Holy Spirit say, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm getting ready to listen to the preacher here. He said, no, what are you doing? And he let me know that I was looking at everybody looking for their faults. And you know what he said to me? I don't do that. And I don't want you to. Love never stops believing the best of others. Right then I said, God, you got to help me break a mental trait. I look for the worst and you tell me I'm supposed to look for the best. And then when I read the worst, I said, oh God, you're right. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm so wrong. You know, honestly, it took me a while to break that trait. And now I am so thankful all these years later. I think I can mostly say I believe the best. And it's gotten me into trouble. Sometimes it'll get you into trouble. Believe in the best of people. Did you know that? Because you'll give them a chance. Sometimes when others say they don't deserve a chance, does God ever give you another chance? Should you give other people another chance? Wow. I, I just found my own experience in life is a lot better to believe the best. Yes or no? Love never takes failure as defeat for it never gives up. That is, it never gives up on other people. So we're sitting around the Thanksgiving table. What are you going to do? How about let's, don't, let's, don't, let's find out where people are. Don't talk about what you believe about the vaccine or the mask or no mask or, or, or politics. Just talk. And if other people want to talk about it, just nod. I found a great way to enter into, let people enter into conversation and say what they want to. I don't have to agree with people. I just kind of go, mm-hmm. And like the bobblehead dog, mm-hmm. I don't have to agree. And they may say, well, what do you think about that? I say, well, I have lots of thoughts, but, you know, I'm not sure. I, uh, just right now is where I want to share. But, you know, I appreciate you sharing what you shared. See, I may absolutely, maybe vehemently disagree, but I just smile. I just smile. Well, I appreciate you sharing what you shared. I hear you. That's, that's, uh, you can deflect, right? Well, I hear you. Because if you go where you, think, where, where you think and what you believe, whoa. Somebody might get up from the table and say, I'm getting my butt home today, right now. Let's go, Martha. Let's go. Oh, not Martha. I'm joking. I don't know how to name a name that's not in the room. You get what I'm saying? Uh, I have this, and I'll close with this. I'm trying to close early, but it's not working. 1 Corinthians 13 years ago, I taught in a Bible college in our church. And in 19, I think maybe 86, one of the students gave me a compilation because I was uh, teaching on a certain subject and this student came up to me and said, uh, I took my Bible and got uh, various translations and I compiled a composite of various translations of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. I thought you might enjoy it. Uh, I wouldn't pastor at the time, but Mitch. I said, well, thank you. And... Um, and, you know, I've kept it ever since, and I've ministered dozens and dozens and dozens, maybe a maybe hundred times on this, uh, since I've been here 27 years. But, and I've read it a lot. I've read it a lot. I could almost quote it to myself because it helped me that much. It's a compilation, again, of various translations. So listen to this, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. So, so, and, and I put this in the notes, and I did it on purpose. What if all of us choose... Uh, this week, we're enjoying Thanksgiving to have a 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 meal. What's the thing? What, what if you choose to do that? 
So here it is. Let me describe love. One way to do this is put your name where love is. So let me describe Susan or Mitch or whoever you... Uh, It's slow to lose patience. Love stays in difficult relationships with kindness. Isn't that good? And always looks for ways to be constructive. See, somebody says something that's destructive. How can you fend that off? You say, well, I appreciate you sharing that. See, you valued them while you didn't exactly disagree with what they said, but you didn't make a big deal out of it. You were constructive, right? So, there is no envy in love. It's not possessive and never boils over with jealousy. Love makes no parade of itself. It never boasts, nor does it puff up with pride. Love is never arrogant and never puts itself on display because it's neither anxious to impress, nor does it cherish inflated ideas of its own importance. Wow. Isn't that good? Uh, I'm just going to say this publicly. You know, I wrote that book, and I got a bunch more I'm going to write. But I had a test. I hadn't even told Susan this one. I went to a conference where a bunch of pastor friends were. (laughs) And I got a bunch of my books and stuck them in the back of my truck. And you know what God said to me? Leave them in the truck. I wrote the book. Leave them in the truck. Don't mention it to anybody. Now, basically, well, a couple of times I gave one friend one because he's a real close friend and, and then one other, and that's it. No, but I said nothing. And that was a test because, you know, part of my personality would want to brag. And I ought not be doing that. That's pride, right? It's because I was around my friends, my peers. Well, no, no, I need a love. And love doesn't boast. So he dealt with me about it, and I really got it strong. Love makes no parade of itself. It never boasts, nor does it puff up with pride. Love is never arrogant and never puts itself on display because it's neither anxious to impress. Isn't that good? So why are you wearing that new dress? Why are you wearing those, name the shoe type that's real expensive. Why are you wearing those shoes? Neither anxious to impress, nor does it cherish inflated ideas of its own importance. All I'm doing is talking about me and my accomplishments. I'm talking too much. Love never gets irritated and is never resentful. Love holds no grudges and keeps no record of evil done to it. The Greek word there literally means love doesn't make lists. So if I see somebody in my family I've known a long time and I'm making a list now, in in 1983 he did that. In 1987, he did that. In 1994, he did that. In 2013, he done that. In 2019, he said that. I ain't messing with him today. I'm using South Carolina slang there. You get it, right? If you're from South Carolina, love South Carolinians, okay? Love holds no grudges and keeps no record of evil done to it. Love doesn't make lists. One translation really says that. Do you make lists and remember what people did? If you do, you need to go back and forgive them. 
I haven't forgiven if I look at someone and remember what they did. Because that colors me. That colors my personality towards them. My words, right? Towards them. I didn't mean for it to be so quiet today, but I guess it's quiet stuff. And love refuses to be provoked. Now, that's a big love refuses to be provoked. Here's somebody, and their, their ministry is to be sandpaper. They're going to rub you every way they can, try to get a response. Have you ever been around a person like that? It's their, their goal is to rub you, move you, but not leave you the way you are, right? Love refuses to be per. You smile. Yeah. Okay. All right. And never harbors evil thoughts. Love is not rude or grasping or overly sensitive. Now, there's a person that's, that's so close in relationships, they want to be everybody's best friend, and they don't want anybody to be closer to them than, than they, you than they are. That's a problem. How about codependency? Yeah, I think. Love is not rude or grasping or overly sensitive. You ever been around a person and got to say, well, I can't say it that way because I might think that. And I can't say it that way because that might offend that. I can't do it that way. I don't even know what to say to this because they get offended so easily. You ever been around a person like that? Maybe you are that person. Psalm 119, 165. Blessed are they who love your law and nothing shall offend them. So if I'm offended, the problem with me is I don't have the love that nothing will offend. I, you know, I, I mean, y'all, I used to be this way, you know? I mean, I'm not saying I don't be that way sometimes now, but I say, I catch it. I say, God, you got to help me. I just got aggravated. I want to slap something. I do I say, Lord, you got to help me. Just help me. Let your grace come on me. Then it says, nor does love search for imperfections and faults in others. Love does not compile statistics of evil or gloat over the wickedness of other people. On the contrary, it's glad with all good men when truth prevails. Love celebrates what is real, not what is perverse and incomplete. It deals with things the way they are. Love never does the graceless thing. Love has good manners and does not pursue selfish advantage. Love never insists on its own rights. Never irritably loses its temper. Wow. And I like this one. Never nurses its wrath to keep it warm. Now what's that mean? Somebody's done something and you just, man, you're going to make them know they did it. You can do that a number, silence is one way. What's going on? Oh, okay, I'm okay. You all right? I'm fine. Well, you're mighty quiet when you normally would talk a lot. Well, I'm fine, I'm fine. We're so funny, aren't we? Never nurses its wrath to keep it warm. Love is not touchy. Love can stand any kind of treatment because there are no limits to its endurance nor end to its trust. Love bears up under anything. I can't take this anymore. Love can. It perseveres in all circumstances. Love's first instinct is to believe in people. If you love someone, you'll be loyal to him or her. No matter what the cost, you'll always believe in him, always expect the best in him. Always stand your ground in defending him. Love never regards anyone or anything as hopeless. Love keeps up hope in everything. Love, love's hope never fades. 
The Lord keeps talking to me. I'm going to get it, Lord. Hang on. I want, can I read this first? Love keeps on keeping on. It trusts God in every situation and expects God to act in all circumstances. Love goes on forever. Nothing can destroy love. Nothing can happen that can break love's spirit. In fact, it's the one thing that still stands when all else is falling. Now, here's the truth. You know the people who are going to help you most in life? It's not your friends. Now, friends meaning, in this sense, the ones that agree with you. The ones who will help you the most in life are your antagonists. The ones that aggravate you, that frustrate you, that you don't want to be around. Those are literally the people that help you more than you ever realize. Jesus, we call them your enemies. Because they don't do life the way you do, but they force our hand to act opposite of what our natural inclinations are and say, God, help me love that person. So what's if you do this right, then that person on the job that you like the least really could be the person that helps you the most because they give you an opportunity to practice what you wouldn't otherwise. Or you ha- your marriage is challenging. Well, it may be your spouse that helps you more than anybody else. Because maybe, maybe you've been married a long time and they're aggravating you to the nth degree with this, that, or the other. God's saying, well, you got a ring. You're committed. Stay committed and love them anyhow. This is not a time to look around. Look at your spouse. Yeah. It could be a a son-in-law, daughter-in-law. And it's like, Jesus, they're coming over today. You got to help me. Right? Notwithstanding blended families. Both of you been married. Now you get remarried. You got kids. Woo! Can be challenging, right? Will you do something? Let's, I'm going to make a commitment. To How about every day you read this? Go get You can download these, print them. I don't care. It's available. Read this every day. Go read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Then Thursday for sure when you get up and you go into Thanksgiving, whatever, read this right here. Say, God help me. How about let's make a commitment to do that? What if we make a commitment to let love win this week? What do you say? You think you can do it? You think it's a challenge? And then don't stop with Thanksgiving, but let's go right on into next week, go back to work, and all through December, all of next year. What do you think?